Well, today we're turning um, to uh, the second chapter of Hebrews, the, the second half of the second chapter. And man, this is such a dense book. It is such a rich book. It, it, I'm going to be honest, it's hard to preach through because there are so many ideas packed in just a short amount of time. Today, we're mainly going to focus on verse 17 and, and quite a bit on verse 10 as well. That's not actually in our passage, but it is a significant passage. And in chapter one, his big idea is that Jesus was fully God, is fully God eternally. And that also that Jesus became fully human. In chapter two, we're going to be talking about that quite a bit. And so chapter two, verses 14 uh, through 18, let me read it for us. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to look at three things uh, from this passage. Um, Jesus is our brother. Jesus is our priest, and Jesus is our savior. He's our brother, he's our priest, and he's our savior. Um, When talking to someone who isn't a Christian about faith, uh, and perhaps you've had that opportunity or that experience, and when you do, usually the conversation, the questions, the concerns are mainly about the divinity of Jesus, meaning like, is it okay, is it right to believe that Jesus is actually God? And obviously the Bible, the Bible speaks to that, that yes, Jesus is eternally God, has always been God, and is one with the Father and the Spirit. So, but have you ever had to try to convince someone that Jesus was actually a human being? I mean, some, probably not. But believe it or not, that was one of the biggest issues in the early church. In the second century, one of the, the main heresies that the church had to address early on was not doubting the divinity of Jesus. It was doubting his humanity. It was called docetism in the second century. And this was coined from the Greek word uh, for to seem, meaning they taught that Jesus only seemed to be a person, right? It's kind of weird, but he, he was sort of uh, assuming to be flesh and blood, but he actually wasn't because they believed that the material world, including our bodies, was evil and bad and sinful. And it was only souls and spirits uh, that were righteous. And so they could not conceive uh, that, that Jesus would take on flesh, become a human. So Hebrews 1 teaches us that, that Jesus was fully God. And Hebrews 2 is telling us that he is fully human. So in Hebrews 1, we read the verse that says that he is literally the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And I want to stop and talk about that for just a second. That, that Jesus is the exact imprint, if you will, or the seal of the nature of God the Father. And this is so important because I find so many people 
and perhaps this is you, that, that feel close or warm to, to Jesus as you read about Christ in the Gospels. You're, you are warm to him. You love him. You're, you want to draw closer to him, but there is this distance that you feel between yourself and God the Father. But what I want you to see is that when you are reading about Jesus in the Gospels, you are literally experiencing the very heart of God the Father. So when you see Jesus as the friend of sinners, and you love that about him, I know I do, you're seeing the heart of the Father. <laughs> that, that Jesus, everything Jesus does on planet Earth is the heart and will of the Father. They're one. As you see him heal, teach, uh, weep over death and decay, and even turn tables over in the temple, you're seeing the very heart of the Father. So to see Jesus, you are seeing the will, the nature, the heart of God the Father. And so we have a good, good Father. And I love that song that we sing. In verse 11 of our, of our cha uh, chapter two, we're told that Jesus calls us brothers and that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And today uh, I'm gonna use a lot of brother and son language. Women, please don't be, um, please don't be uh, put off by that. Please, if I, if I only say brothers or sons, please insert daughters and, and, and so forth. Um, so yes, we are all in this. In verse 11, we're told that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Therefore, you know what that means? It means that he's not ashamed of you. Our sin is a shameful thing and our, and our sin deserves his displeasure. But because of Jesus, because of the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, which we'll talk about in just a minute, he is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you brothers. He's not ashamed to bring you into his family. Verse 17 today is the main thing that we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at it a couple different ways, but he says this, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus is our brother. He had to be made like us in every respect, it says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so uh, what this tells us is that Jesus is like God in every single respect. Why? Because he is God. But Jesus is also like us in every respect, except for one thing. He was without sin, yet fully human as we are. Flesh and blood, it says, as we are flesh and blood. But why? Why? Why was the son, because by the way, this is the, we're the only faith in the world <laughs> that believes God became fully human and yet was fully God. There are other faiths that believe that Jesus was a man who became, became God through obedience, but we believe he was fully God for, for eternity and he's fully human. Why though? Why would the son of God, who shares in the father and the spirit's eternal glory and power and righteousness and divinity be made lower than the angels, as it says? Why did he come down from such great heights? Why did he humble himself like us? In verse 10, I'm gonna steal back from last week's passage for a bit. It says, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist. I love that phrase. We're talking about Jesus, 
the incarnate one, the one that came, and yet all things were made for him and through him. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there's a lot, a lot going on here. Let, let's get into it. But let me return to this question. Why did the Son of God become a man? Why did the one who had no vulnerabilities at all make himself vulnerable even unto suffering and temptation? And the author says it was fitting that he did so. Fitting. Since it, it was his plan from the beginning, since the fall in Genesis 3, from the very beginning of that time, it was his plan to bring many sons and daughters to glory. It would have been against the very character of God to leave his good creation, including you and me, in death and decay and ruin. Next, our brother, our pioneer, our leader, he, he, it says, was made perfect through suffering. It's another reason that he became a, a human. He was made perfect through suffering. And what does that mean? Like, how does Jesus made perfect? He's God. He is perfect. Why? How did he become more perfect? Well, what it, what it means is this word make in Greek, in the Greek Old Testament, and uh, believe it or not, you know, the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but later they made a Greek form of it so more people could read it. It was called the Septuagint. And in that, the, the verb that was used there is for animals who were whole and unblemished and were worthy of sacrifice. And so when he's saying that Jesus was made perfect through suffering, part of what he's saying is he literally is the Lamb of God who is worthy to be a sacrifice for sin. So there's two other ways in which I believe he was being made perfect. First, he was our perfect representative. We're going to get into that in just a second. And he was tempted in all ways, perfectly on our behalf. And around here, we often say the phrase that Jesus lived the life I should have lived and he died the death that I should have died, that I deserved. He lived the life that I should have lived and he died the death that I deserved. And I think we kind of understand that second phrase that he died the death that I deserve. We, we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and so forth. But today what I want to impress upon us is that his life was equally as important as his sacrificial and atoning death. That, that he was made perfect through suffering, that he had to live a life in order to fulfill all righteousness, like when he was baptized. So in Romans 5, for example, in verse 19, it says, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So the one man's obedience, or so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Now, what's interesting, what Paul is talking about in Romans 5, verse 19, is that the one man's disobedience, he's talking about Adam. And theologians like to describe it like this, that Adam served as a federal head for us, meaning he was our representative, like a federal government. And that when he and Adam, he and Eve were in the garden, they represented all of humanity. And so when they fell, 
we fell. When they sin, their sin came upon us. And you may not like that concept very much, uh, and neither do I in the sense that the, the evil it has wrought in the world, what we're seeing today began with that decision. But we are have the guilt of Adam on us, and we also have the sinful nature whereby we freely choose sin as well, right? And so we had a federal representative in Adam who brought disobedience to many, but now we have another captain, another federal head, another representative, Jesus, who through his righteousness and his obedience, many are made righteous, this is what the, the, this idea of justification by faith that maybe you've heard about in the Bible or read and wonder what this means. This is exactly what it means. We know Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, but he also d- lived to make us righteous. What does that mean? Well, for every day of his life, he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as much as he loved himself every day, all day. And he earned a perfect righteousness. So he is our perfect representative. So that when you look to him by faith, you have the very righteousness of Christ as a gift. This is what Paul says. That is given to you. It is, you're no longer seen as sinful. You're seen to the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's yours by faith. He is our representative. He was also tempted in all ways, which we'll, we'll get to in just a second. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully human. And he is our good brother who brings us to God. In the movie, a, a river runs through it. It's a, it's a sad movie in some ways, but it is a, a profound and wonderful movie in others. And it's a story about two brothers They're sons of a Presbyterian pastor in Montana. They're obsessed with fly fishing, and and it's a beautiful film. The older brother studied hard in school, went away to be educated, and came home, got a good job, and became an upstanding citizen and a respectable man. But the younger brother, Brad Pitt, didn't study, spent his life fishing and partying, and finally uh, started keeping bad company. And the older brother loved his younger brother. He did everything he could to reach him, to help him, to save him, but he couldn't do it. Spoiler alert, Uh, it's an old movie, so, you know, shame on you if you haven't seen it, but he wasn't able to save his brother. His brother died in a, a, a bar fight. But our older brother came to reach us and he was able. He lived on our behalf, he identified with us, he suffered what we've suffered and more, he died the death that we deserve. We have a good brother. The next, Jesus is our priest. Back to verses 17 and 18. It says, he had to be made like his brothers, us in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help us when tempted. He had to be like us, brothers and sisters, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, and this included suffering and temptation. Suffering. Have you ever felt abandoned or lonely? Of course you have. Jesus is a man of sorrows who was denied by his very best friend. 
Have you suffered the loss of a loved one in death? Jesus actually had friends. He was friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus passed away and died and Jesus allowed that to happen. And even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he wept at, at, at the graveside essentially of Lazarus because he felt the sting and loss of death. Have you been maligned or lied about? Jesus was betrayed by one of his 12 disciples, falsely accused by priests, mocked by soldiers, slapped, stripped naked, scorned. Have you experienced anxiety, depression? Jesus literally sweat drops of blood in the garden because of his anxiety. He cried out from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we all ask at some point in our life when suffering in the dark hour of the night, we've all asked it, and if not, you will. Where are you? God, where are you? Why are you allowing me to suffer like this? It seems like you're a million miles away. And because of Jesus and becoming fully man, and this is what makes Christianity so unique, we have a God that is not just aloof. He became a man and he suffered in all ways. And so when we cry out, where the blank are you? He is able to say, I am right here in the suffering. And if you read the gospels, you, you will know and understand that Jesus himself suffered probably more than you I ever will. Have you been abused? Jesus was abused. He was literally physically beaten and obviously crucified. Jesus never gave in to temptation, but Hebrews tells us he suffered in every respect. He later was tempted by the devil. And we'll talk about this in another chapter at some other time. He is our great high priest. And, and the, the audience of Hebrews is Hebrew. <laughs> they were Jews who were embracing Christ as Messiah. And so when he talked about, we have a great high priest, they knew exactly the imagery that was meant. We may not get it, but they were used to Yom Kippur when the high priests were going to the Holy of Holies to make blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. But Jesus is greater. He's a greater priest because he has suffered. He's become merciful. He's become a merciful, caring, loving high priest who never takes a day off, never gets sick, never calls it in, who never stops interceding on our behalf. And he became merciful through suffering. And I don't know about you, but I have... I think, hopefully, become more merciful because of suffering. And when I have gone through trials and tribulations, or Becky and I have together, um, at times it feels like, I don't know why this has happened to me, but on the other side, I've been able to see I am a better pastor because of this. That when I sit with somebody in grief and suffering and trial and difficulty, I, I can relate in some ways. My own dad, who was not a believer, who was an atheist, told me when I became a pastor, don't start preaching when you're young. Wait. I was young when I went to seminary. And he's like, wait, don't start. You have nothing to say to people who are a little bit older than you until you've suffered a bit. You can't relate. As you suffer, as you go through trial, you're becoming more merciful. You're hopefully more kind-hearted. Of course, it can make you angry and bitter, but it can make you a better shepherd of people. And that's what God is calling you to, even if that's not your title or your day job. Christian, you're called to care for those you love and your neighbors and fellow followers of Jesus. 
Jesus is our savior. He's our brother, he's our priest, and he is our savior. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus is not only our priest, high priest who makes sacrifice for us, that he himself is the sacrifice. He himself was the spotless lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sin. He says here that Jesus did that to propitiate. And that word propitiate means to appease. And can we just be kind of honest that as modern people, even if you're a Christian, there's a part of this idea that we're a little uncomfortable with. To appease. What that means is the cross of Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God. And we don't love the idea of the wrath of God, of course, because that makes us feel uncomfortable. But the wrath of God is real. His anger towards sin is real. And it was appeased through the cross of Jesus Christ, meaning the sacrifice that Jesus made appeased God's anger so that that anger would not fall, wouldn't fall on us. And so we may not like it when we talk about God needing to exact punishment or having a judgment. But let me explain why you need to believe in this and why actually all of us in our heart of hearts do believe in it and see that it's fitting. Here's what I mean. When I got home last Saturday uh, from California and I turned on the news and started seeing the reports about Israel, I was watching on one channel, I turned to another, watched on another channel, turned to another channel from different political kind of leanings from right to left. I'm watching all these different news coverages, but they were unified exactly with the same message. They all agreed that what happened by Hamas to Israel was evil. Nobody was making excuse for it. Nobody said, this is, you know, they just said, this is evil. But here's the thing. If there is no God, there is no evil. (laughs) And there's no good. There is no absolute truth that stands apart from us or what we feel inside of ourselves. And so when the chips are in, when an event like this happens, the response of the human heart is to call this what it was, which was evil. And it's right to call it that because evil exists, because God exists, and because there is a truth and there is ultimate good and there's ultimate wrong. There was another aspect to what they were saying on the news is that this evil must be punished and stopped. No one was saying anything but that. Every single news organization said, this is evil, it's wrong, and Israel must respond. We, we know that some wrongs rise. We know in our hearts, we know that some wrongs rise to the form that, that there needs to be punishment, even death for that punishment. And if we know this to be true at a human scale, why would we not understand that that's true of God as well? We are created in his image. If when evil happens like this, there, there is something in us that just cries out, that is unjust, that is evil, that is wrong, why would that not also be true of God? If we are offended by evil like this, then don't you think that real offense is against God who created us? And all of this evil has come because of our rebellion against him. But look where God's anger fell. It doesn't fall on us. God would have been just. He did it once, right, with a flood. He would have been just to to 
judge the whole world and just say, I'm, I'm kind of done with humanity and creation. But he doesn't do that. He loves us. He's merciful. He himself becomes the propitiation for sin. The very son of God becomes the one who takes it, receives it. He became sin for us in order that we may become righteous. After the first couple days, I kept watching the news. I kept watching the news and I heard a story. This a news anchor was interviewing a woman in Israel who was an Israelite and she lived near the Gaza Strip and was among Strip and she was among one of the families and houses where the terrorists literally came into her home. She and a friend were having dinner. They started hearing gunfire and rockets. Uh, they saw that people were coming towards them with guns. They, they hid in a closet. They didn't have a safe house. And when the, the terrorists came into their bedroom, the bedroom, uh, this young man put his body in front of hers to protect her. And she literally said, and this brought me to tears as I was watching because of the story itself, but also what it tells us about Jesus. She said, he absorbed all of the bullets in his body so I could live. He, he died for her. He saved her. He placed himself in front of the wrath of these bullets. This is exactly what Jesus did. He absorbed the penalty of our sin. He absorbed the anger of God, the punishment of God. Being physically crucified is bad for any human. And he suffered all that, but he suffered something much worse. The father turned his face away in that moment. The, the one who was glorious and eternal, the son who enjoyed perfect fellowship with the father and the spirit for all of eternity. In that moment, the father turned his fellowship away from him because we became sin. He became sin on our behalf so that we could be sons and daughters. And now what is true of you, now what is true of you is you are a son or a daughter. If your faith is in Jesus and you've truly repented of your sins and looked in by faith, there is no coming wrath. As Roxy and I talked about her life over the last couple of years and she would talk about, I'm just, I don't know, you know, pastor, I don't know. Will I really be forgiven of my sins? Will I really reach the other side? And I'd be able to preach this news to her and she would weep with joy and thanksgiving saying, can this really be true? And I would say, it's true. It's the truest of truths. That even people like us and all the guilt and all the shame and all the stuff that weighs on us, it's forgiven. In Jesus, he's that good. He absorbed it all in his own body, flesh and blood. We sing a beautiful song here called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I'm gonna read one of the verses as we close. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as the wrath of God was poured out on the Son. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Let's pray. Father, would you make us a thankful people that you would literally move heaven and earth to send your own son 
so that we may be restored to glory. You created us gloriously. You loved us. You set us in a garden and we rebelled against you. But Father, you have done everything that we need in order to be restored. That should change our lives, O Lord. Help us to have changed lives in light of the the beauty of this story, this true story. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.